These coronavirus special reports are meant to reinforce the Atrium Health community and how we each give, the different ways we contribute, the challenges we face, the innovation we deliver. We are in this together and we will beat this virus together. I have the privilege of introducing a couple of our anesthesia colleagues who I get the, the opportunity to work with at Atrium uh, on a regular basis. And uh, I have Dr. Barry Brassfield and Dr. Janish or Jay Patel uh, joining me this morning to talk about the anesthesia response to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Um, let, first, let's find out a little bit about yourselves, who you are, where you came from, and, and you know, your roles at Atrium and, and within our system. Uh, Barry, you first. Well, thanks, Saj. We appreciate the opportunity to come and share with your audience. I am originally from Tennessee. I went to medical school there, then trained in anesthesiology and critical care at Johns Hopkins, and spent the better part of the last 20 years primarily in private practice. I've done both uh, academic stints at, at Emory and at Vanderbilt, in addition to my private practice work. And I came to Scope at its inception in June of 2018, hired as the chief medical officer, and that's my current role. Excellent. And Scope is Scope Anesthesia, new, our, our anesthesia provider for uh, many segments of our uh, facilities within Atrium? That's correct, Saj. We cover currently seven of the facilities that Atrium covers here in North Carolina, and uh, we collaborate very closely with our partners up at Northeast who cover Cabarrus and University. Uh, it's a different group, but we work very closely with them and collaborate on many of our policies and, and interventions, especially during an important time like the coronavirus crisis. Excellent. Thanks, Barry. How about you, Jay? Tell us a little bit about who you are and your background. Thank you, Saj, for the opportunity to, to join uh, join you on this. Um, so I am a pediatric anesthesiologist. I had trained in the past at Cleveland Clinic and for the past seven or eight years prior to arriving uh, at Atrium Health, I was in Washington, D.C. at Children's National Medical Center, which is a, a freestanding children's hospital. Um, I joined um, Scope Anesthesia and Atrium um, um, around September of uh, 2018. Um, my role on joining was uh, the Periop Medical Director for Levine Children's Hospital. Um, I'm also the Vice Chief of Anesthesia uh, for the Central Division. Excellent, excellent, great. So now we are in a current state that is uh, unprecedented. You know, that's the, the word that's going around. It's true, right? Because the last time we had something as crazy as this, none of us were around. So how is anesthesia, the anesthesia department, the anesthesia teams uh, responding to it? You know, what, what, what were the, some of the first steps you all did to kind of say, all right, um, you know, we need to attack this and we need to do this right. What do we do? What do we do, Barry? Well, Saj, we started with, as you recall, there was a lot of concern about where people had traveled. And being a, a relatively young group formed less than two years ago, we have a lot of people who have come from distant parts of the country and therefore have family that live in different parts of the country. And so travel has been really a, a part of our, of our group ever since our, its inception. So we, we put together a travelogue, uh, had everyone report where they had been once we started hearing that there were uh, areas of concern such as China, South Korea, but even areas such as Washington State, California, 
and then it, and then into Europe later on. So we kept that travel log and and uh, determined based on the best CDC recommendations and in collaboration with our infection prevention specialists here at Atrium, how we should manage those people. And fortunately for us, that was really the very first step that we took in our response to the crisis. How about you, Jay? Your your experiences, initial steps that uh, we took from a, your vice chair role. Um, so initially, in collaboration with our infectious disease colleagues, um, we uh, we focused on the travel history for our patients as well. So you know, we developed an algorithm uh, for preoperative assessment of our patients prior to arriving to the hospital. Um, based on um, criteria developed by infectious disease. So prior to surgery, um, any patient uh, would, would undergo a phone call pre-screening and we would query a set of questions, one of which included travel history, um, along with if they're exhibiting any symptoms um, of coronavirus. And if any of that was captured in a preoperative assessment, um, then we took other steps to make sure that you know these patients weren't exposed to other patients in the in the hospital, and then also took steps to make sure these surgeries may not truly be indicated, um, and you know refer those patients that were captured on pre-screening to get evaluated by Atrium Health uh, mobile COVID testing facilities. So we took measures up front to make sure those patients exposed in our community never actually um, presented to the hospital for uh, non-essential surgeries. And, and then we continue to expand on how we screen our patients prior to arrival and expanded on, on the type of surgeries that um, we decided to proceed with. What types of other interventions was you know, anesthesia incredibly involved in as we prepared for this uh, uh, this potential surge and and trying to uh, make sure that our our clinicians and our specialists were able to help out if if our if our peak uh, really came as a large spike versus you know the the better case scenario of a, a nice flattened curve. Some of the initial steps focused around staff safety. Um, so we developed protocols um, and and anesthesia action cards to ensure our staff practiced um, the way that, um, that in accordance to best practice guidelines that were developed from China, from Italy, based on their international experience on how to manage the, such patients um, it, when they arrive in the hospital. So we, we, the initial premise was focusing on staff safety yeah. creating standard operating procedures for managing patients. And then we expanded that not only from an anesthesia perspective, to, but to the entire perioperative area, um, ensuring that our OR uh, nursing teams are were practicing in accordance to the um, PPE guidelines that were developed by the CDC. Um, and our surgical colleagues were also adhering um, to the guidelines that were re recommended as well. So our initial premise was focusing on staff safety. Um, and then subsequently, we developed a team of experts for, for airway management that dealt specifically with these um, COVID positive patients or uh, individuals that were uh, presumed to be positive, uh, a PUI, a person under investigation. 
Um, so we developed a, an intubation team that then went around and actually performed the airway management on these patients uh, once they actually arrived into the hospital. Um, so elaborate on that because uh, obviously the understanding was uh, that during an intubation procedure, the potential for, because it is an aerosolizing procedure, the potential spread and exposing to your colleagues or teammates involved in the care is significantly higher than just a patient walking around being screened for verbal contact uh, during verbal interaction. That, correct. That's, uh, so that, that's correct. The highest, the highest viral load of COVID-19 appears to be in the sputum and upper airway secretions thus making uh, tracheal intubation or airway management a high-risk procedure for the airway operator. Um, so this predisposes healthcare workers to a significant exposure of a very high viral load. Um, so in developing these intubation teams, we, you know, we developed a very small cohort of individuals um, that functioned in a very highly reliable manner and doing things very systematically with with checklists um, and we educated the entire team around the entire experience as well uh, in the ICUs, in the operating rooms, um, along with um, other atrium facilities throughout the system on how best to perform the airway management on these patients. Excellent. Barry, uh, we also needed to, in addition to specifics like Jay just mentioned, uh, there were also other areas and ways that your anesthesia team took a, a leadership role and, and really uh, helped the team. Can you elaborate on some of those? I'd be happy to. So we know that this has been a, an evolution as we think about how we both communicate what has been happening and what is continuing to evolve in this process. And Atrium has really taken a great lead on that in the use of the incident command structure and the report outs that they do every day, several times a day. So we we began to mimic and to use communication as an effective tool to help us be sure we were well prepared and we stayed prepared. Just as an example, we do uh, two calls a day. One is at three o'clock with all of our CRNA leaders across the atrium enterprise. And then a six o'clock call was with our anesthesiologist directors in our scope task force call to review the day's activities at each of the facilities around and uh, to also look at four different areas in terms of how we were planned to respond in addition to how we've already responded and that's our geography, our equipment, our supplies and finally our staff. Jay's spoken eloquently to some of the ways we've looked at staff, how we've deployed our staff in these intubation teams. We've not only done that though in our central division, but we've extended that into the periphery in preparation for, as we know, nursing homes, for example, could very quickly overwhelm some of our smaller facilities. And by having these intubation teams that could be deployed to go into those areas where those smaller facilities may be feeling a little overwhelmed, we can provide additional support for them. In the geography space, we've uh, collaborated very closely with our critical care colleagues looking at capacity. As you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at anywhere from possibly 150 to 200 percent of the capacity of our ICU beds, right. which means we needed to find additional geographies to put these patients. And one of the 
natural places to do that was in our perioperative spaces. So we began looking at our pre-op space and our post-op space. In addition to that, we were concerned that the on the equipment side, that ventilators could run short, just like they have across the country. Very, we're very fortunate here at Atrium. Our supply chain has done an excellent job of keeping us in good supplies so far. Nevertheless, in collaboration with our national societies, we have learned how to prepare anesthesia machines to function as an ICU ventilator. Mm-hmm. We've actually set up and done a couple of simulations with that because it is very different and our respiratory therapy colleagues are not familiar with how to run an anesthesia machine as an ICU ventilator. So we've expected to deploy both anesthesiologists and CRNAs into those critical care spaces that have extended into the perioperative areas so that we can help manage those patients if and when they appear. Fortunately, now, as we've seen the the social distancing flattening our curve and pushing it out, it's both giving us more time to prepare and do these simulations. As Jay was saying, you know, the old old adage, uh, practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. It's better to say it, perfect practice makes perfect. So when we are able to train and simulate the donning and doffing of PPE, for example, and, and do that in a highly reliable manner, as Jay alluded to, we're going to decrease our risk to our providers, not only the ones that are performing these aerosolization procedures, but also those that are in the room or maybe coming into the environment after that has occurred. So we've worked very closely also with our infection prevention colleagues in determining when can patients come into uh, an operating room, for example, after we've intubated a patient because of the air exchange and these kind of things. So very good working relationship with everybody involved to be sure all of our staff is safe. On the supply area, two areas I would mention very positively. One is our pharmacy. Uh, Susan Baer and her colleagues in the pharmacy have done an excellent job of keeping us abreast of the sedation medications for the neuromuscular blockers that we need to -hmm. take care of these patients. She's done an excellent job of keeping us in that supply. And then on the on the N95 side, as we know, there's been a lot of national shortages with N95s. And while we have had some challenges with some certain sizes of the N95s, for the most part, our anesthesia colleagues have had ample supplies, which is very important with them being on the front lines, as Jay's already mentioned, through the intubation teams. Well, that's, a, that's a great tie-in, uh, Barry, about all the different um, components that go into strategically, uh, as I like to call it, fighting this battle, right? I'm not the only one that likes to call it that. Everyone likes to call it that. But but I mean, but from the standpoint of the supply chain impact to having equipment, having the medications, you know, when we spoke with, uh, when I've spoken with our laboratory teammates, it's not just having uh, the capacity to run the test, but all the supply chain components of having the media to be able to transport uh, the testing uh, samples. So, you know, so many intricacies are involved in really executing and executing well and efficiently uh, any and all of these uh, efforts that, um, you know, it, it does require a practice if you can, if you, if you have the time to do it. So that's a wonderful comparison. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, two last questions. Um, one is, okay, it, it seems like at least in our region of the Charlotte metro area, because we are flattening the curve, it seems that way, um, because of multitude of interventions and most of all the community, uh, both the phys- physician and the hospital community, but also the community at large, uh, co- uh, 
partnering with us to do all these recommendations, follow these recommendations. What do you see uh, the next set of steps um, as we go forward to trying to get life back to normal? And, and you don't have to tell me details because uh, we don't know, right? I mean, we don't know, but we still have to be proactive about some of that as well. Well, Jay's, I, or Saj, as I mentioned, uh, the C it is a, in, in scope is, is part of an acronym and it, it's collaboration. Yeah. And I'm, I've used that word several times because it is so critically important in what we do. And we are already collaborating with the American College of Surgeons and Dr. Niesel and Matthews and his group in the House of Surgery to be thinking about how the next steps to reopen the, uh, the surgical cases. Obviously, we've got to be extremely careful about that. And they are aware that there are policies that are being put into place even as we speak that relate to the number of days that we want to see declining numbers of positive patients in our environment before yeah. we are comfortable bringing healthy patients back in to have these surgeries, which we know they desperately would like to have. Right. And we want them to get them. That's part of our, our pledge to our patients and our community is we want them to get the health care that they need. I think that uh, the other very important thing for us to continue to do is for about 30 years now, the American Society of Anesthesiologists in their logo has had a, a lighthouse and that lighthouse represents vigilance. Hmm. It is so important as we go through these next several weeks that we don't let our guard down just because yes, it looks like we're not going, maybe not going to have a big surge. Maybe we're not going to be overwhelmed in our ICUs. Nevertheless, we've got to be vigilant in how we both manage these patients and manage ourselves. And it's very important that we take care of ourselves, take care of our colleagues, take care of each other, because as you said, this is unprecedented event in our history. And it's very easy to see people experiencing burnout. So I like to say we need to walk through crowds slowly and see how our teammates are doing, be sure they're handling things well with their families, all the change, all the disruption that they've had to experience, it's very important that we are there for each other and be sure they're supported in dealing with this crisis and remain vigilant till the end of it. That's excellent, Barry. Uh, one other question for you. Um, I understand that, we all understand that this occurred in other parts of the country first, and they're obviously experiencing a much different situation. Have you had an opportunity to talk with your colleagues throughout the country and uh, learn from their challenges? Actually, we have, Saj, about to two weeks ago, we actually did a town hall with two individuals on the real front lines. One was an anesthesiology director in uh, New Jersey, right across the river from New York City, whose hospital has been completely inundated with COVID patients. Um, the other was an intensivist at Mount Sinai, which, as you know, is in the midst of the storm as well there in New York, who actually had been COVID positive and had had to be out for a couple of weeks, was now recovered and was back at work. But it gave us a, a unique opportunity to speak directly with individuals who were really facing the most severe challenges of this time so that we could adequately prepare for the, the possibility that we would also be flooded with patients. And, uh, one of the things that we learned from them is uh, Jay is going to talk about a, uh, a type of device that we learned from uh, our colleagues called an intubation box. Jay, you want to speak to how we were able to obtain some intubation boxes to use? And, and tell us what an intubation box is also. Okay. 
Sure. And this is uh, an intubation box um, was one of the, the measures that was utilized in these community hospitals or throughout New York and New Jersey um, that we learned about when we had the town hall. And what an intubation box is, it's, it's a kind of a plexiglass uh, square rectangular box that allows the individual who's operating the airway and performing the intubation to, to be somewhat shielded from aerosolization of the, of the viral particles during um, this high-risk procedure. So what we ended up, we ended up collaborating with um, the private sector along with community individuals. So the private sector, uh, Roush Fenway Racing actually donated a number of these um, intubation boxes that are now being utilized throughout the atrium systems uh, through, from everywhere from the small community hospitals um, out in Lincoln to um, our, our, the big hospital, the big house at, at Maine. And these intubation boxes decrease the exposure for the healthcare provider performing intubations. And along, and, and then the second effort. But wait a minute, now Roush Racing didn't have these. They especially made them for us, right? Correct, yeah. They, um, they saw how these intubation boxes would would be helpful for healthcare yeah. providers. Sure. So they made them in-house for us. That's awesome. Wow. And in addition, Charlotte Latin School is now in the process of, of 3D, using their 3D printer to print um, an item that can be used for our um, PPE gear for our personal airway uh, respirators that we could wear within the operating rooms. Oh, great. Yeah, the, that's that's exciting that the community is stepping up in so many different ways. And Barry, one last question, though. When you were part of this town hall and you got to chat with these folks up in the, the, the hot center of this battle in Jersey, did you feel like we're doing enough by hearing of all the different steps they've had to take? That is one of the gratifying things about what we've seen from Atrium is that Atrium has realized where the challenges are that we hear about every day on the news, be it ventilators, be it PPE, and has stepped up to be sure that we do everything we can as a system to avoid the kind of challenges that these people face that ultimately, of course, did, did cause some of them to, to be exposed and, and to become positive. So we learned that uh, that having a strong hospital system with a strong supply chain and a good communication system was going to be vital and key to the efforts as the uh, coronavirus pandemic progressed here in Charlotte. Uh, so, Jay, let me ask you a, a second half of this or first half of this question. Barry described staying vigilant and making sure that we are checking in with our, uh, our teammates or our, their families, et cetera. Um, what do you see as the morale of your group and sort of the morale of the environment that you work in? Uh, what, what, is, what are those experiences? Yeah, I think overall we have a very resilient um, department uh, of, of, that's filled with you know, CRNAs, uh, anesthesiologists, along with the OR team that's managing these patients. Uh, but there is a fair amount of uncertainty, and the uncertainty lies both in you know how long this episode, uh, this pandemic episode, will last, uh, along with uncertainty of regarding day-to-day -day practice, but the team itself has seems very resilient and has you know been very 
very helpful in collaborating with us in developing a structure to then re resort back to some sort of a normalcy, whether it's in a, in a slightly lower percentage of surgical volume um, or, uh, you know, or with specified criteria prior to um, reinitiating surgeries. But the team has been resilient the entire time. So I think overall, everyone is actually is looking forward to the day of normalcy. Um, and it's just a matter of doing things in a safe, um, accurate manner as, as we move forward. Thank you, Jay. Uh, well, I'm going to let you both finish on these, this final question. And I think uh, Barry alluded to his answer, so I'm going to let, let him wait and answer it last. So Jay and Barry, what advice do you give to our listeners, uh, knowing that we don't know when the new normal will be, we don't know when this will truly uh, pass us by, but what do we do in the meantime? What advice do you give? The, uh, one of the uh, biggest pieces, uh, eye-opening advice that I've uh, received and also witnessed myself is when I've taken care of these uh, these COVID-positive patients um, that are non-critical, but they are on the floors and they're, they're awake and uh, completely neurologically normal. And, you know, they express how isolated they, they feel and how isolated they are. Their families cannot you know, see them, they feel isolated and, and depressed. And I think a lot of us, um, even healthcare workers, along with um, individuals in the community, a lot of us feel isolated during this period of social distancing. So I think what measures that you can do to remain attached with your friends and families throughout this crisis will go a long way in us coming out of this together. That's great. Thank you. And Barry, what, what final uh, words of advice would you give to our listeners? I would encourage them to be as collaborative in wherever they are as we have been with Atrium and Atrium has been with us. I think that this could have been far worse had we been in a system where we felt like people were not listening, that they were not responding to our needs and our challenges. But Atrium has been a wonderful partner for us. And we look forward to many years of continuing this once we get back to what may not be a, the old normal, but there will be a new normal and there will be patients that will need our care. And we want to be here for them and for our community in the future. All right. Well, well, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate uh, you sharing how the anesthesia team, um, especially scope anesthesia, has been very responsive to the central division and really to the seven facilities you all uh, participate in and uh, all I can say is uh, stay safe and 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 thank you and thank you Saj for the wonderful work you're doing we appreciate it thank you Saj my pleasure these discussions reveal our passion our commitment and our culture stay safe stay strong and stay atrium health proud